Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. I want to take a quick moment and welcome all of our first-time guests at all of our locations, whether you're joining us at Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, if you're joining us here at Greenwood for the first time, or if you're joining us online for the first time, can we give it up for all of our first-time guests? Thank you for accepting someone's invitation and clicking on the link today. Hey, if you're not brand new, welcome back. Thanks for coming back. And uh, my name is Danny, if you're brand new, and we're wrapping up a series right now called Inseparable. And we started it way back on Easter, not way back, a couple weeks ago on Easter uh, weekend. And we began with this idea that, uh, that God loves you. And we've kind of been just kind of floating that out there to kind of see how people feel about that. And, and a lot of people hear that, ter- that phrase that God loves them, and it really brings a lot of comfort to them. It really brings a lot of security and makes them feel at peace. And, and if you're in that space, that's awesome. And we hope more people get in that space there. But there's a lot of people today that even believe in God, many don't believe in God, that, that, that idea doesn't bring a lot of comfort to them. In fact, they struggle with it. And the reason why people struggle with the idea that God loves them is because of the negative circumstances that have taken place in their life. Maybe years ago they prayed for a family member to, to not pass away from cancer, and they did, or they prayed a specific prayer for, for someone uh, to have a baby, and they didn't, or, or there was a tragic car accident of some sort, and, and, and to hear the, the, the phrase, God loves you, and to kind of put that together with all these negative circumstances in your life, it's, sometimes it's hard to, to, to believe in that, because the idea is that, man, if God loved me, then he wouldn't have let this happened to me. Yes? You know anybody like this? Maybe you're like this today. Or if it's not a personal situation, maybe it's something that's going on in the world or in the past, like world wars or genocides or things of this nature. Or, and you look at the world and the situation that it's in, and you think, how could there be a God of love, and how could he allow all of these things to take place in the world? And what I love about the Bible, and I've said this each week, is that the Bible actually addresses the tensions that we struggle with. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul actually says this. He says, does it mean that God no longer loves us if we struggle with calamity or trouble or if we face persecution or if we find ourselves in a situation where we're hungry or in danger or if our lives are threatened? And then he answers his own question in chapter 8 of verse 37 of the book of Romans. He says, no, it doesn't mean that. Despite all of these things, calamity, persecution, hunger, danger, being threat, having our lives threatened with death, besides all this, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Past tense. Not Christ who loves us. Yes, he loves us in the present tense, but he loved us. And what Paul is doing is he's pointing back to the cross. He's pointing back to the fact that Jesus Christ proved his love for you and I for, from now and forever 
by dying on the cross for us. We should never doubt God's love for us, even when difficult things happen to us, because Jesus Christ has died in our place. And so Paul goes on to say, therefore, neither death nor life or angels or demons, nor fears for today or worries for tomorrow, nothing can even come out of hell and separate us from the love of God. Nothing in all creation can ever do that. Paul makes this powerful argument that there is and always has been an inseparable link between God's love and his people. Now, why would Paul do that? Why would he take five, six, seven verses to make this clear argument? Why would he use language in such a powerful way to make this argument? Well, it must mean that we need the love of God like we need oxygen to breathe. It must mean that we need God's love in our life as much as our bodies need food or sleep. And it's true, we do. Not to live physically, but to have a healthy, vibrant spiritual life. You and I must receive and know deep down in our hearts, that God loves us. Someone questioned Billy Graham many years ago. Why do you always tell people in your sermons that God loves them? His answer, very simple. If you knew that God loved you deep down in your heart, it would transform your life. And so we've been trying to answer that question. How does the love of God, how does receiving God's love actually transform our lives? In week number two, we talked about how receiving God's love gives us strength for life. When we root ourselves down into the love of God, Ephesians chapter three, verse 19, when we experience it, when we totally understand it, that's when we experience all the life and power that comes from God. And then we can face, face all the things that, all the challenges and the difficulties that we have in our life with God's strength inside of us. And then last week we talked about how God's love brings us home to our true self. It answers all of the questions of our soul. Am I important? Am I significant? What makes me valuable? What is the good life? How can I be happy? All of those questions are answered in our identity as son of God or daughter of God. And I look, we looked at Luke chapter 15 and how the love of God draws us back to our home. When we land ourselves in the, in the pit, in the mud, in the mire, God's love brings us to our senses and we go back to our heavenly father. And we leave all the empty peas alone. alone. We stop striving. If you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say empty peas, you can go back and watch the talk on YouTube. That was last week and the week before. Today, I want to wrap this series up by talking about one more, one more aspect of how God's love transforms our lives. If you have your notes, if you, if you uh, typed in the 65248, you can follow along here digitally. The love of God empowers us to, say it with me, love others. A little bit louder, to love others. Man, it's tough to love others today. Don't you agree? Our world is in a precarious situation. I mean, there's so much... There's so, many, there's so many tough things going on today and that people are doing that make it really hard to love others. It's much easier to cancel others, isn't it? It's much easier to retaliate, to maybe seek revenge, to harm back, to punch back, to kick back. It's a lot easier to hold a grudge and to become bitter than it is to love people. People, and your notes I wrote this, people are hard to love, aren't they? They're difficult to love and people are so frustrating. I mean, they don't know how to drive, uh, there's, there's, so, there's so many things that people do to kind of get under your skin. I mean, they, they, they don't get on the right side of the escalator to let people pass. Uh, you know, they, some people talk during movies. I mean, who are these people? It's like, we're watching a movie here. Some people like empty out the milk container and, and, it's totally, and then they put it back in the refrigerator. These people. In our house, we, we have a word for this person. It's somebody. We haven't figured out who somebody is yet, but nobody loves somebody. 
because they put the milk carton back in there. You know, these are the, these are the people that, that, that the toilet paper thing is empty and they don't replace it. These are also the folks that leave the toilet seat up. That's me. Are you one of these people? People are frustrating. They really are. These are the people who don't take the, the shopping cart back to, the, the, to, the, to the, where it goes. You know what I'm saying? Like they just leave it out in the parking lot, you know? And then the wind takes it and it dings your car. People. People are hard to love. Very frustrating. These are the people that, I got one more. I got to get this off my chest. <laughs> I don't fly much, and, 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 but when I do fly, and, and this isn't recently because COVID, they, se- they separate everybody out on the plane, but when, when I, you know, f- before COVID, you know, these, these are the people that use both armrests. Oh my gosh. You are using both armrests. You're only supposed to, like, right? And then this guy on this side is using his armrest, so then this guy's, he's using both, and I'm sitting there in the middle like this. Like I'm in the fourth grade again. <laughs> that just gets under my skin. Anyway, people, people are tough. Those are some, 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 some small things, but then there are some, some really, really, really tough things that people do. I mean, they gossip about you, accuse you falsely of things, harm you physically, emotionally. People are tough. People, some of you have grown up with alcoholic parents that were absent or present in a way you didn't want them to be. And you're still kind of holding on to that. Some of you have ex-spouses that you can't even talk to, can't even look at because of what they've done and the betrayal and the cheating, and you're still carrying that. People, are, people do things to one another, and it, it, it makes it extremely hard to love them. The pain that they've inflicted, the hurt that they've caused. And yet the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. I want to look at a passage in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is probably some of the best stuff he said. And he quotes from the Old Testament first. He says, hey, you've heard it said that you should love your uh, neighbor and hate your enemies. That was like the Old Testament teaching. And then he says this, I'm here and I've got something new to teach you. Watch this. But I say today, now, now that I'm here, I want you to love your enemies. And I want you to pray for those who hunt you down and persecute you. Whoa, what? How am I supposed to love my enemy? You don't love your enemies. You get back at your enemies. You seek revenge. You fight them. You kick back. You fight back. You hurt back. Jesus says, no, I've got a new teaching for you. I want you to love not just your neighbor, not just those who are lovable. It's easy to love those who are lovable, isn't it? I want you to love the unlovable. Listen to what he says in verse 46. I'm going to skip verse 45. I'll come back to it later. He says, if you only love those who love you, the lovable ones, my wife falls into this category. She's just so lovable. She really, she's sweet. She's kind. She's a great mother. She smells nice all the time. Some of you know Jackie Anderson. It's easy to love that woman. Jesus is like, it's no big reward for you, big D, to love Jackie. Don't, hey, don't do too much of this is basically what, what Jesus is saying. It's easy to love those who love you. What's the reward in that? Even corrupt tax collectors can do that. Now, this is an interesting statement. It might not sound that interesting to you, but tax collectors were basically Jewish people back in Jesus' day who betrayed their own people and they were working for the Roman government. Not only were they working for the Roman government, they were overcharging their own people, paying the Roman government, and then 
pocketing the difference. And they were, coming, they were becoming extremely wealthy. They were thieves. They betrayed their own people. They were hated. They were the bottom of the barrel. They were the scum of the earth. Jesus says, you know what? Don't pat yourself too much on the back there, loving the lovable, because even the scum of the earth can do that. Whoa. And he continues. Jesus says this. If you're kind only to your buddies, only to your friends, those who have the same political beliefs, those who have the same skin color, those who have the same, you know, whatever, this and that, those you get along with, those you can run with. Watch this. How different are you from anybody else? Even pagans can do that. Even people who have no relationship with God can do that. Even people who worship false gods and are caught up in false religions can do that. Jesus is like, I'm calling you to something much, much bigger than loving the lovable. I'm calling you to love the unlovable. Whoa. How am I going to do that? That's tough. You agree? Yes or no? You know, when you open up the Bible, <clears throat> it's interesting. What you find are these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they seem to be two, and they are two, but then they're also kind of one. They're, in fact, you can make the argument, theologically, not completely, but almost, that loving God and loving people are synonymous in the Bible. Let me, let me, let me explain. Brendan Manning wrote a book called The Wisdom of Tender Tenderness. He's one of the old dead guys we always quote around here. Dallas Willard, C.S. Lewis, Brendan Manning. Anyway, he's the least dead guy of all the dead guys. <laughs> Brendan Manning says this in his book. In the practical order of the kingdom, the love of God and the love of neighbor are, and here's the title of our series, Inseparable. Interesting. Loving God and loving others are inseparable. Where's he getting this from? Listen to what John said. John, the one who followed Jesus around for three years, part of the inner, inner circle. In 1 John chapter 4, John says this. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a, say it with me, a liar. And he continues and says this. For if we don't love the people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? In other words, hating people is not an option for a believer. You must love them. Not just the lovable ones, but the unlovable ones. The ones who've hurt you, the ones who've hurt you, the ones who've wounded you, the ones who've betrayed you, the ones who've gossiped about you, the ones who've falsely accused you. In other words, you can make the argument sound like this. If you do not love or without love, your faith is a sham. Holy cow. A hoax, a con, a fake. Why? Because loving God and loving others are inseparable. They, they go together. In other words, you and I, as believers, if you're a believer today, you are not permitted to hate anyone. Paul, and the, the apostle, I talk about him a lot because he is one of the main authors of the New Testament. He wrote 14 books of the New Testament. He penned these words that are often quoted at weddings uh, but I'm not going to quote the part about love is patient, love is kind, love is all those wonderful things. I'm going to quote the part right before that. Listen to what Paul says. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth, can you imagine doing that, of all the peoples on the whole planet, and also the languages of the angels, but I didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just someone beating a drum. In other words, it would be completely annoying. <laughs> If you had all that power and you knew all the languages, but you didn't have love. He continues, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I could understand all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, 
And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, that would be something, but didn't love others, I would be, say it with me, nothing. you imagine that? Having enough faith to move mountains, but yet be nothing because you lacked love? He says, if I gave everything to the poor and sacrificed my own body, I could, po- I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained, say it with me, nothing. What does Paul mean by nothing? I mean, surely that's something. He gave us all his money away to the poor. He sacrificed his body. Surely that's something. Paul says, no, it's nothing. It's of no value to himself or to others or in the sight of God. In other words, if you don't have love in your heart, everything you do is valueless. In other words, Christianity is a system of love and nothing else. If there is no love in it, it is pointless. Paul is saying, wow, love is the ball game, as it turns out. Jesus told us a little parable in Matthew chapter 25 about the end times. And he said, you know, at the time when I'm going to judge all of the nations, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to come back and I'm going to set up my throne on earth and I'm going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. And then I'm gonna read you a, a portion of what he says here because it's a little bit long. And, and, and then I wanna show you uh, what, what, what the final verse is in verse 40. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. So he comes back to earth. He separates the righteous from the unrighteous. Then the king will say to them on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Now watch this. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you put, me, put clothes on me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous are kind of confused. They're like, whoa, 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 time out. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and show you hospitality? Or when did we see you naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, we don't understand. We never saw you. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 40. And the king will say to them, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren and sisters, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to, say it with me, to, to me. The love of God and the love of humanity are inseparable. When you love people, you are loving God. Hating people, canceling people, hurting people, retaliating, seeking revenge is not permitted for Christ followers. Now you hear that and and it's like, wow, that's pretty tough teaching from Jesus, from Paul, from John. I can't do it. And I would say to you, if that's where you're at, I get it. I get it. Because I can't do it either. I can't love my enemies. I don't have it in me. You know what's in me, as, just as your pastor's 100% authenticity? What's natural for me is to retaliate. What's natural for me is to punch back. What's natural for me is to, you know, tweet something back. Trade insult for insult. Punch for punch, kick for kick, eye for an eye. That's natural for me. That's easy. I don't even have to, I don't even have to think about that. You know, how about you? Everybody can do that. Everybody can get in a fight. I don't have it in me to love my enemies. 
We're kind of stuck, aren't we? Because Jesus is asking us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Don't just love the lovable, but love the unlovable. And here we're thinking, but I can't do it. Exactly. So I wanted to look at Paul's life really quick because Paul is a great example of somebody who was able to do it. Will you track with me for a few seconds here? The Apostle Paul, if you don't know who he is in the Bible, he was, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was this crazy, passionate Jewish man who was an expert in all things Judaism, and he was even, he, even more than that, he was a zealot, he was somebody that tried to snuff out any ideas that were contrary to the Jewish faith, and so when Christianity started to blossom, Saul made it his personal goal to snuff Christianity out. So he was literally going from house to house, dragging Christians out of their home and putting them in jail. In fact, at one particular time in the book of Acts, they dragged this guy Stephen out and they killed him with, with stones and rocks and Paul oversaw the whole thing. He oversaw the murder of an innocent man. He was sort of a terrorist and at that time. Until one day, Jesus met him on a road called Damascus, knocked him off his horse, and expressed his plans and his will and extended grace and mercy to Paul, and it totally changed his life. And Paul goes from hating Christians, not just Christians, but Gentiles, anyone who was not a a Jewish person, he goes from hating Gentiles and Christians to loving them. He becomes one of them. He, be, he becomes their partner, one of their brothers, and he, he, he links arms with them to take this message of reconciliating, reconciliation and grace to the Gentiles who he hated. How do you explain such a transformation? And not only did he take this message to the Gentiles of grace and mercy, this message of Jesus dying on the cross for the world, he suffered for it. They beat him up, they locked him up, they threw stones at him, they pelted him, they whipped him with cords, they beat him with sticks, He went through all kinds of crazy persecution, difficulty, and calamity, and he never stopped. How? How was was he able to keep getting back up? Well, he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 what motivated him, what kept him going. Listen to these words he penned. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. This word compel means, it's this Greek word syneko, syneko. It means to be gripped. It means to be seized. It means to be controlled. In fact, some versions of the Bible say that the love of Christ controls us. Some versions say the love of Christ constrains us. The word compel means to be completely seized by something. In the negative sense, it's, it's, described, uh, by, uh, it's used to describe the way a disease takes over somebody's body and totally controls their, the, the functions of their organs. Paul says, the love of Christ has consumed me. It has gripped me. It has seized me. It's pushing me to take this message to the world. Why? Because I am convinced that one died for all. See, Paul goes back to the cross. He goes back to the cross. One died. Jesus died for everyone. And from that time on, Paul never saw another person for whom Christ did not die. Didn't matter if it was a man, a woman, a Jew, a Gentile, a person with a different skin color. Every single, it didn't matter if it was a man or a woman. It didn't matter if it was a child. Paul saw every single person as a person for whom Christ died. And what that means is that every single person who's alive is an object of God's love. 
And this would come out of Paul's pen. It would come out of his writings. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great agape, his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus would say it like this in John chapter 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. Like The cross is the picture of love. If you ever have any doubt if God loves humanity, all you have to do is look at a cross. I mean, in what other way could a person show another person his love other than dying for them? It's as if you were in the middle of a street of a busy road and there's cars coming and, 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 and your friend or your father or your brother sees that you're going to get killed by this car and jumps and shoves you out of the way and the car hits them and kills them. I mean, in what greater way can you show somebody that you love them by saving their life? And that's what Christ did for you and I. And so Paul is convinced. He's like, look, one died for all. God loves every single human being. This was not Paul's love for people. See, he was locking Christians up. He was overseeing their murder. He hated Gentiles. He hated Christians. This was a love that came from outside of himself and was poured into his heart. What happened to Paul? And you notice I wrote it like this. God's love for people became Paul's love for people. It wasn't Paul's love for people. Paul didn't muster up his strength to love his neighbor as himself and to love his enemies. No, it was, it was Christ's love that entered into him. Listen to how he describes it in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill whose hearts? Our hearts with whose love? His love. Do you see what's happening here? You don't have it in you to love your enemies. It's not human. This is not a human endeavor. This is not a, a self-help program. This is not a, come on guys, muster up the strength so Monday morning you can forgive your boss or forgive your ex. Or, or, or. This, I'm not talking about human endeavor here. I'm talking about God's Holy Spirit, his supernatural love coming from heaven into your body and then flowing out of you into them. And that explains Paul's life. The way he wrote about it in Galatians chapter 5 is so clear. God's spirit makes us loving. Or the fruit of the spirit is love. Whose love? It's the spirit's love. It's God's love for humanity. God's love for humanity becomes your love for humanity. And what is the result? The result is beautiful. The result is transformation. The result is that you end up treating people the way God treats them. Instead of canceling them or retaliating or getting back at people or seeking revenge or, or any of that stuff, you end up treating people the way God treats them. Remember I told you I was going to skip verse 45 in Matthew chapter 5? I read 44, 46, 47. Jesus says in verse 44, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Look what he says in verse 45. When you do that or in this way... You will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. A son or a daughter of God. We talked about that last week. You'll be acting just like a child of God. The apple will not have fallen far from the tree. Well, how does the Father treat people? Look what he says next. For, in, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Whoa! Remember we did the series on mercy? What pours out of God naturally? It's not judgment. It's not punishment. You know what pours out of him naturally? It's grace. It's love. It's blessings. God sends blessings on the unjust farmer like he does the just farmer. 
You have an evil farmer who plants his fields and steals and robs and is a horrible person. Guess what he gets? He gets rain for his crops, just like the just farmer does. You get a criminal out there, spends his whole day stealing, manipulating people, hurting people. Guess what he gets on Monday morning? He gets the sunrise. Just like the person who's trying to do right and be right and bless people. This is our heavenly father. He loves the just and the unjust alike. And so when you, when you treat people that way, you're acting just like God. You're able to treat people just like God. It's supernatural. I shared a story a couple years ago about a lady named Immaculate. I can't say her last name, I, otherwise I would, I would say it. Here's a photo of her, Immaculate. 1994, she went home to see her family over Easter break, and <clears throat> the president of Rwanda was murdered. And the, the, Rwanda was split up into two clans, the Hutus and the Tutsis. Anybody remember this, 1994? I was in high school. And the Hutus blamed the Tutsis for the murder of the president. And then they, be, then they began to get on the loudspeakers and the TV and the news and the radio and say, all of the Hutus need to gather all of their machetes and all of their guns and all their knives and they need to kill all of the Tutsis. And for 91 days, there was mass murder all over Rwanda. In 91 days, almost a million people were killed, murdered, hacked to death. It was unbelievable. At that, the, the day that the president got shot, her dad told her, told Immaculate to go three miles down the road to there, there was a pastor that would hide her. He happened to be a Hutu pastor, a member of the opposite tribe. And so it was a little bit risky, you know. So she went and the Hutu pastor was a good man and he took her in and he put her in this bathroom. And, and the bathroom was the size of this carpet. It was three feet by four feet. She thought she was gonna be the only one in there. She thought, oh my gosh, this is too small. Well, seven more women came in. Seven adult women of the Tutsi tribe. And they were literally crammed next to each other in this three by four bathroom for 91 days. Some people saw the girls go into the house. So the Hutus, with their machetes, about 100 men circled the house. And they wanted to come in, and they finally got inside the house. And they knew the girls were in there. Somehow, miraculously, the pastor was able to hide the door to this bathroom. And they searched, and they searched, and they went on the roof. They searched every bedroom. They searched all the windows. They could not find these eight girls that were huddled in this bathroom. What's interesting about this genocide is that the Hutus and the Tutsis, they look alike. In fact, if you put a Hutu and a Tutsi next to each other, you can't tell them apart. There's no distinguishing features. Maybe if you really look closely. But they're friends, they're family, they went to school together. In fact, the person who was leading the, the, the charge to kill Immaculate, Immaculate that day knew her name. He was crying out to her. I know you're in there, Immaculate. I've killed 399 Tutsis. You're going to be the 400th. He went to, she went to school with him. They grew up together. This is what happened when a nation divides people into groups. Does that sound familiar? Is that happening in our nation today? We better be careful. They didn't find them. In the bathroom, 
She kept praying. You got to hear the story, and we'll put it on. We'll put it on our social media this week, so you can so you can hear it from her own words. But she said she kept praying the Lord's prayer in the bathroom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Forgive us our debts. Uh, give us our, today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we. And then she would get stuck on the next sentence. What's the next sentence? as we forgive those who trespass against us. She couldn't say it, she couldn't pray it. She was getting stuck, she prayed it every day and she would get stuck on that part, why? Because there were people outside the house with machetes trying to kill her. She talks about how the fear was so gripping, she couldn't, she had no saliva, she couldn't breathe, it was, it was, un, it was overwhelming. And she could not forgive. And then she realized that she needed God's help. And in her own words, this is what she prayed. Every time when she'd get stuck on that prayer, she'd say, I need your help. I need your help. And she reached, she looked up to God and said, if I'm ever going to forgive, I need you to help me forgive. And she said that God gave her a vision that if she acted on the anger that she had, because she admits in her own words, I wanted to kill them back. That's what she wanted to do. She wanted to get out of that bathroom and kill, they killed her mother, they killed her father, they killed both of her brothers, they killed her whole family. She wanted to kill back. And God says, what happens if you kill back? And the answer became clear to her. I will continue the cycle of hate and nothing will ever get solved. And so God gave her clarity and God gave her his spirit. And in that bathroom, she was able to forgive the people who were hunting her down. Here's a, she went back to the bathroom after the genocide was over. This is a picture of her inside the bathroom. This is a toilet. They took turns sitting on the toilet, and all the girls stood around them, the girl sitting on the toilet. She forgave the murderers. She was able to do the very thing that Jesus did. Do you know that Jesus forgave his murderers? Did you know that? When Jesus was on the cross, he said seven things, seven statements. Those are the only things we have recorded. He may have said something else, but we only have seven things recorded. I want to show you one of the things he said when he was on the cross. Luke chapter 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive who? Forgive the Jews who stirred this whole thing up and got the Romans to bring me to this cross who are they're all standing there watching the situation. Forgive them. Forgive the Romans who are actually driving the nails through my hands and through my feet. Forgive the people who are actually carrying out this execution. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Immaculate was able to treat her murderers her family's murderers, the way Jesus treated his. I mean, if she could do that with God's help and God's strength, what could you do? Do you think you could forgive that ex? You think you could let it go? That person who's crossed you, wounded you, hurt you, stolen from you, betrayed you, that coworker? Some of you walked in today, you actually have plans to retaliate. You had plans to retaliate tomorrow. Just wait till I get back to work. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do with this message? If Immaculate can, can forgive people who are hunting her down and killing her family and all of her people, surely, surely you and I can reach out to God and ask for his strength and his love and let his love flow through us to forgive those who've hurt us. Do you agree? In fact, 
Why don't we just try that? I didn't do this at 9 o'clock. I didn't do it last night at 4 o'clock. Why don't we just, all of our campuses, if you're watching right, right now online, why don't we just ask for God's help right now? Do you feel led to do that? Because you're thinking, I can't do it. The pain's too hurt, too much. I don't have it in me. I know you don't have it in you. I don't either. So why don't we just, if you would, if you feel comfortable, just open up your hands Whatever campus you're at, wherever you're at, just, you don't have to do it. If you feel led to, just open up your hands. And what I want to do is just, on, for myself and for you, I just want to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, to fill us with his love that we might be able to forgive, perhaps, show grace, or show mercy to the people in our lives. Will you pray with me? Just hold out your hands. Pray with me quietly in your heart. Dear Jesus, our Heavenly Father, would you move today into our hearts? Would you send your spirit into our lives today? Would you graciously and kindly extend to us a little bit of your love. We open up our hearts and we ask for you to fill us. You said at one point, it is your joy to fill us and to give us your spirit. And so we ask for it. I ask for it. Fill us with your love that we may show love and mercy and patience and kindness to people we disagree with, to people who are doing harm to us, to people who are doing harm to others, whether that be a family member, a coworker, someone in our community, God. May your love and strength and power flow through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's love transforms us, gives us strength for life. It brings us home to our true identity as a son or a daughter of God, and it allows us to love the unlovable. Do you see how important it is to live and experience God's love? Do you see how important it is that we know that nothing can separate us from God's love? Yes? If you don't know God's love right now and you're not a Christ follower, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's reaching out to God and accessing this love that was demonstrated on the cross. Jesus said it perfectly. He said, there's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. And he did that. He allowed himself to be crucified so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He died in your place. He took the penalty for you. If you reach out to him right now in faith, you will become his child and he will fill you with his spirit. So I'm gonna say a simple prayer, another prayer. If, if you feel led at this time to put your faith in Christ, wherever you are, whatever campus you're at, whether you're watching at home or in a car somewhere, just reach out and say this word, take these words, pull over if you're watching in a car. <laughs> and just reach out in faith right now and, and ask Christ to be your savior. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross for me. 
proving your love. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, and make me your child. From this day forward, teach me to obey, to follow, to love you, and to love others. Thank you for your grace. I receive it today by faith. I trust in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, our church wants to put a little save box into your hands. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. Whatever location you're at, if you trusted in Christ, if you text the word SAVE to 65248, we'd love to put one of these in your hands. It's at the information desk at your location. Uh, inside this box, there is a Bible, there's a coffee cup to say congratulations, some information on how to get connected to the church, baptism, small group. If you're watching online today, you prayed that prayer in your car and you pulled over, uh, you can text this word SAVE to 65248. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. God's love transforms our life. If you truly knew that he loved you, it would transform your life. It would give you strength for life. It'll answer all the questions of your soul and it'll help you to love the unlovable. Has this been a good series, guys? Been fun? Amen. I'm gonna pray and then hand things off to our local teams. Father, we love you. Thank you for so clearly demonstrating your love for us. We never have to doubt it. Jesus, you sacrificed your life on the cross for us. You took it back from the grave, conquering sin and death so that we can be in fellowship with you. Thank you for that. May your spirit fill us today with your love that we may extend it to others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We're gonna start a brand new series next week, so you don't wanna miss it. I'm gonna hand things off right now to the local teams.